And so when we devalue children, what do we do? Right? We we're willing to work out our issues on them. Right. Right. When I, I don't want to be too salty here, but when parents get divorced, right? One of the biggest things that they do is they denigrate and they complain to their children about their ex-spouse. Right. Okay. That's devaluing your children. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey that we're all on called life, and the goal of the Salty Pastor Podcast (laughs) is to help you navigate it for yourself. And we do this through a couple different ways, by strengthening you through knowledge and tools. The deeper Mm -hmm. the knowledge you have, the greater wisdom you possess. We focus on what is true. This will help you clarify your options. And finally, we encourage you with support, helping you find other people who want to grow and develop on this journey called life. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host. We cannot do this without the one, the only, the extra salty pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Hey, everybody. It's good to be here with you today, and I have been really having a lot of fun doing this this podcast. I think it's really amazing how it is continuing to grow, and if you want to see it transcend just uh, the Treasure Valley, which is Boise, Meridian, Eagle, and so forth, and kind of spread out, you're welcome to support it. You can go to... Uh, our website or our, our app and when you click on give there will be a selection and you can pick salty pastor yes. and you can donate directly to it so we really appreciate you and our audience and we hope that what we are doing here is getting the truth out so that you can make up your own mind about all of these things that are going on and answer some deep questions. And that is what's really going on underneath and behind the scenes in our society. And why have we gotten to the point that we are at today? Absolutely. And on Tuesday, we talked about the biblical teachings on children and why they're important. We, we looked at, um, what we're supposed to do. And that is we're supposed to cherish children. We're supposed to nurture them. We're supposed to protect them and we are supposed to direct them. Yeah. Uh, my contention is our, our society has devalued children and we've been devaluing them for the last 50 years. It's at the point where we now use them as experiments or political statements. Mm. Um, it's really kind of sad. In his book, messy grace, uh, Caleb, uh, Kaltenbach, he talks about, how he was raised by uh, his mom and his dad both came out and got involved in the gay and lesbian movement. And they were part of the leadership of GLAAD. And he talks about how growing up, he was taken as a child, very, very young child, before he knew what was going on, to every pride parade that there was, you know, and holding the signs and all that kind of stuff. And he said, I was taught from a very age that Christians were were uh, the most hateful people on the planet. You know, in, in his book, he talks about how he ended up meeting Christ <laughs> in high school and became a Christian. Then he becomes a Christian pastor. Right. You know, what it's really quite amazing. Right? <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that's a perfect illustration in his story of how people are willing to use their kids, you know, for their own whatever ideology they have. Uh, in the transgender uh, movement right now, the goal is to begin introducing children to these concepts at a a very young age. You know, I I was reading today about an article that says um, uh, Duke Health, UNC, that's University of North Carolina Health, the ECU Health, 
Uh, these are hospitals and health organizations, right? And they're saying that, well, they used to believe that you should start introducing the issue of gender trans uh, gender transition for children at ages eight or nine. But now they're saying that you should start much earlier. Uh, Duke Health, you know, associated with Duke University, says that you should start at two years old. So your child, you know, is wearing a diaper, but you know that they understand that they want to transition in their gender. What? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Um, it, it's really quite remarkable. I was just reading it this this morning, and that is is that uh, Dr. Deanna Adkins, director of the Duke Center for Child and Adolescent Gender Care, said she tra has transgendered patients as young as two. They are not old enough to consciously just choose to do that. It is not a choice in any of my patients. It's really an unpleasant thing. So what she's saying is, well, they can't choose it. So obviously this is hardwired. And I just want everybody to know that there is zero, zero, zero. Can I say zero again? <laughs> Scientific evidence or proof or anything that says that homosexuality is innate, that it's a biological innate thing that you're born with and that same-sex attraction is innate and that transgenderism is innate. So that is all 100% completely false. And so yet here we go. This is the director at Duke Center for Child and Adolescent, of course, gender care. And people ask me, well, why, why do hospitals do this? Well, the average gender transitioning patient generates over $400,000 in profit for a hospital. In 2014, there were zero, there was one, I'm sorry, there was one in 2014, this is nine years ago, gender clinic in the United States. Okay, today there are hundreds all across every state, everybody's doing it. Why, why is that? Well, obviously, because there's a market, right? right? The other thing people don't realize is if you read much about gender detransitioners, they were transitioned as minors and they get older and they, they all talk about how what they've become is they become uh, enslaved to the pharmaceutical industry because they have to take 40 different prescription drugs now for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, it's really, really sad. And so my point is, is that when we devalue children, we're willing to do whatever we want with children. Today, the latest research study, I, I read one uh, last week, it said that 68% of single parents who have a transgendered male to female child, right? 68% of them have a diagnosed mental illness. Hmm. So the parent is raising their son as a female, right? When they themselves have a mental illness. And so when we devalue children, what do we do? Right. We we're willing to work out our issues on them. Right. Right. When I, I don't want to be too salty here, but when parents get divorced, right, one of the biggest things that they do is they denigrate and they complain to their children about their ex spouse. Right. Okay. That's devaluing your children. You, when you do that, you devalue your children when you get divorced and then you force your your children to be your emotional support animal, right? And to support you and be on your side, you're devaluing children. And so our society across the board 
devalues children. And when society does that, children become puppets. They become marionettes uh, in our adult world of trying to work out. You know, we, we're doing whatever we want as a society with them. This is the exact ethos. A lot of people are not aware of it. This is the exact ethos of Rome in the, throughout the entire Roman Empire. It is the exact ethos of the god Molech in the Old Testament that was the god of many of those tribes in the Old Testament that God told the Israelites to wipe out because children to them were, were playthings and they used Sacrifices. them in child sacrifice yeah, yeah. Uh, in order to grow better crops or, you know, it's, it's just crazy. This is the exact ethos of the god Baal or Baal in the Old Testament. Um, so the real issue here is that when we devalue children, it has dramatic results across the board. So here's the principle that we talked about on Tuesday. The higher you value children, the more important their development becomes, right? You become interested in what is actually best for them. You seek to provide the best physical, emotional, intellectual direction that produces the highest possible outcome for each child. Um, here, here's an illustration of it. I've driven trucks for years, right? I, I've driven pickup trucks since before I moved to Idaho. I had a pickup truck when I moved here, a little tiny single cab Toyota 4x4. It's mm. a small little thing, little four squirrels under the hood. <laughs> you know, it couldn't tow its own shadow. But what happened is, over all those years, I've always bought trucks that were really kind of, you know, they were old. They had a lot of miles on them. And I'd drive them till the tires ran off and I'd change the oil. I, I, I maintained them properly. But whenever I went to change the oil, I always bought the cheapest oil they had when mm. I was doing it myself. And then when I went into, you know, one of those uh, Quaker States or oil can Henry's or Valvoline's or whatever to try to change my oil, you know what I did is I always said, what's the cheapest one you got? Right. Right. Then something interesting happened. This was back during the Obama administration, and uh, there was all of this e economic stuff, and something happened in the car industry, and I went to buy a truck, right? Because my other one, I'd driven the wheels off of it. So I went to buy a truck, and it just so happened that all the used trucks were more expensive than buying a new one. So mm. the first time in my entire life, I was probably, I don't know, 50-something years old, I bought a new truck. And what happened is when I bought that new truck, I thought, oh my goodness, now I really got to take care of this thing. And one of the first things I found out when I went to change the oil, I took time to research exactly what is the best kind of oil, what does a manufacturer recommend, and I discovered that my truck and the engine that it has requires synthetic oil, which is the most expensive oil, right? Mm. And so from that day, I have always change the oil in my truck with synthetic oil, the most expensive. Why? Because I had a higher value for that truck. See, in the same way, when we value children, we are willing to do what they actually need and not use them for political or ideological agendas. So when we ascribe higher value to children, we focus more on really what's best for them instead of what's best for ourselves. Correct. Um, as followers of Jesus, our goal is to do what is best for children in order to build a strong and healthy family, which includes building children and a, and eventually that turns them into strong and healthy adults, right? Yes. Um, so when we started this series, you said there was a number of things in our society that were in opposition to the success of a nuclear family. What are some examples regarding our children? Well, I think... Um 
the obviously it's the media. Um, a lot of people are not aware that media, both Hollywood and uh, the journalistic news, you know, the mainstream news, uh, most of those people were trained initially uh, in journalism schools to become journalists. And then the media arm and the movie and TV arm, you know, to be trained in that kind of came out of that same college of journalism. And what most people are not aware of is that the first deconstructionist was a Jewish philosopher born in North Africa, and his name was Jacques Derrida. And Jacques Derrida was the father of literary deconstructionism. And his point was that words don't have any intrinsic meaning in them. You only have the meaning that the hearer assigns to it. So that'll, that's where deconstructionism originated. So that's why the media, and particularly journalism today, is not so interested in facts anymore. It's all about the narrative that you can paint, the story that you can tell to elicit an emotional response. And that's why people are so confused and so filled with anxiety today. Our mental health issues are off the chart. is because there's no one up there anymore saying there's actually a truth that if you align your life with the truth, the North Star and your compass, you're going to be fine no matter what you're going through. And so what has happened is the media has adopted this, particularly starting in the 80s, is mm. when these journalism schools and then the media schools, film schools adopted this. And how do we know this? Well, there was a time when it didn't matter if you were politically left-wing or right-wing, Democrat or Republican or anything in between. It didn't matter what type of family structure you had. You could be the two-parent family, a single-parent family, a grandparent family, or a blended family. Everyone across the board in America, except for a few wingnuts, agreed about the innocence of children. Children are, to be in, are innocent, and we as a society are to protect their innocence. Consequently, we came up with extremely harsh penalties for people who sexually abuse children, right? That, that's just, no. Educationally, we want to uh, have a rating system in our movies that are, the ratings are G, right? PG, PG-13 and so forth. Right. Why, why do we do that? to protect the innocence of children. You're not going to introduce children to themes or situations that would violate their innocence. Now, what's fascinating is that we have completely left that. For instance, let's just take the situation with Disney and the Cartoon Network, children's books that are being published today. Originally, Disney, the Cartoon Network, were created to provide entertainment for children and families that maintain the innocence of children. But now Disney is doing what? I mean, what, what, what are they trying to do? They're trying to introduce in cartoons for kids all of these sexual identities to children. You know, most recently was the movie uh, Buzz Lightyear, you know, the one on Buzz. What right. was the big thing that they introduced there? Uh, there was a whole discussion about the, the, they had a, a gay couple in it. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. And so, so the, that was kind of, they, they're trying to use that to introduce it. Now in their mindset, they're like, well, we've moved in this direction and this is our society. And so we want to normalize 
all of this stuff. But the thing that nobody ever asks is how does that interfere with the innocence of children? And so I, I think, you know, particularly in the Cartoon Network, they have an expressed purpose now with many of their cartoons to advance the gender ideology. You know, you might be able to make an argument about same-sex marriage couples and, and stuff. You know, that one in my is pretty flimsy, in my opinion. But when you get into the transgendered ideology, that's a pure fabrication. And it's being propagated on the Cartoon Network. You mm -hmm. know, it's like I can't even let my, your kids watch Cartoon Network anymore because you have no idea what's going to happen. Our educational system, uh, I include public and private together because the public and private schools are ground zero for what is called the culture wars today. Uh, I, I get questions often when I make statements, you know, well, the public school is the primary place today where the gender ideology is being propagated. And then there's, you know, usually an outcry of people who say, that's not true, that's false, that's not being taught in our schools, that's just a lie. And I, I tell people, okay, in your particular school here in Idaho, that might be true. Maybe you have a, a principal and a counselor and you guys have really ensured to protect your kids from that stuff. But I think you need to understand when I'm talking about the public and private school system, I'm talking about nationally across the board. And when you look at the largest school districts, all the largest school districts in the United States, the ones in California, the ones in Illinois, the ones in New York and New Jersey uh, are all across the board are all trying to propagate gender ideology, gender orientation, sexual orientation, and all these types of things as, as young as kindergarten. And so people are like, well, why in the world are they doing that? Well, here's why. Because politically, we've moved in this direction. The national sex education standards were redefined under the second Obama administration. And in them, it explicitly includes gender, gender identity, transgenderism, and sexual orientation as viable options that must be taught in you know, normalized with children. Now, this is an institutional drift in the Department of Education. The Department of Education was primarily concerned with the educational outcomes of American citizens. How well can they read? How well can they write? Can they do mathematics and basic science? Now, it is primarily concerned with sex and race. How did the institution drift so far off course? How, how did we get to this point? You know, did someone just go into the, you know, the administration and just say, you know, I'm evil Dr. No, and I'm going to redo all this stuff. No, that's not how institutions drift. Here's how it happened. We were originally told, um, you know, well, let me back up. Cause before I jump into the exa example, I want to say it drifted incrementally due to a specific agenda in society. So it started to drift during the sexual revolution, okay? Now here's a side note. Most people don't know that the sexual revolution, well, I mean, let me, let me put it this way. Everybody knows that the sexual revolution was personified by the hippie, right? Right. Free love and free drugs, you know, yes. peace, you know, anti-war, it was all about that. But, and that's what everybody noticed. But most people do not uh, remember, they forget that it was primarily a socialist Marxist movement. Hippies formed communes all across America. In the 70s, communes were everywhere. I was, I was growing up in New Mexico at that time in Albuquerque. There were communes everywhere. You know, everybody said, come out and start a commune, you know, and it was free love and free drugs. And, you know, it was, but it was 
from a social structure. It was socialist and Marxist in its ideology. A commune, you know, same shares the exact same root as communism. Mm. <laughs> it's exact same point. Now, so back to how did we our institutions drift? Well, the sexual revolution started the ball rolling in that direction. And so it happened incrementally. And one of the increments was very powerful. And that is we were originally told that same sex marriage would have no impact on traditional marriage, right? Zero. We were told over and over again in the media, in the press and by the administration, if we extend this right, you, you would have no impact on your marriage or your traditional family. What do you care if two same-sex individuals want to get married? And a lot of people, and I know a whole lot of Christians says, well, I guess there is some truth to that. I don't really care. And it doesn't really impact me. So it was past, okay? And of course, like all things, this turned out to be not true. It's a lie. Because what happened is once that decision was passed, okay, as a right by the Supreme Court, it was now a, there was a legal foundation and the re legal foundation was the impetus for the Obama administration rewriting the national sex education standards to include all of this to be taught, to be normalized to children. Now, from their perspective, it, uh, I want to grant them the benefit of the doubt and say it makes sense to them. And that is, okay, same sex marriage is the same thing as regular marriage. And so now we need to normalize it and we need to train kids as young as possible that it's normal and not to do that. So what they did is instead of just saying, well, you have a right to do it. They decided we need to make it a good. So they entered into the, the moral fabric of society thinking that what we're going to do is we're going to indoctrinate kids with our moral, our governmental moral standards. And, and, and then said what happened is what has happened over and over again is now it turns out into a fascism and the fascism that it's become is, well, if you're a, if you bake cakes, you have to bake a cake for this situation, even though you personally disagree with it. Okay. If you, if you, Take pictures, you have to do this. If you're a web designer, you have to design these websites. You have to do all of this, right? Um, of course, no one goes to the, in Dearborn, Michigan, nobody goes to the butchers there and tells them you have to butcher pork. Nobody tells them to do that at all. Why? Well, because they're all Muslims, right? And they butcher their own meat. And, but so, so it's selective persecution here, right? What they're trying to do is change the, what is normal morally in American society. And the number one target is Christianity. Okay. So they go and they force people to do this under anti-discrimination laws. And that's why they keep going to the Supreme court and just saying, well, you really can't do that. You, that's not what, just because someone has a right doesn't transcend mean that you can, you have a right to bear arms, right? You don't have a right to force somebody else to bear an arm, right? right. You don't have a right to do that. Okay. So that's how that, so incrementally what happened, and I, I hope everybody's sticking with me in this is that we were told that this right wouldn't make any difference, but it became the legal right. Therefore the national, uh, sexual education standards for the department of education were all rewritten to include it. Right. And so that now they're over and trying to say it's a moral good and it needs to, it needs to be supported and taught in our public education system as a moral Good. And so once they were written, Department of Education passes them out to all the school districts in the United States that receive federal dollars. Do you know how many 
school districts in America, both public and even private institutions, receive federal dollars. All public schools, districts out there, 100% receive federal dollars. And many private schools receive federal dollars, okay? Mm -hmm. And so during the pandemic then, what happened? Kids were sent home, they're being educated at home. Parents are sitting there working alongside their kids at the kitchen table, you know, they're working remotely. Their daughter and son are over there working. And suddenly they see all of this stuff that's being taught even to elementary school kids, right? And what happens? There is a massive movement suddenly about parental rights in America today. So here's my main point. What, what's my main point about this? Personally, these things are concerning to me, but they're not surprising and I'm not frightened by them. Anyone who's been paying any attention knows that this has been the drift of our society for the last 40 years. And as long as I'm aware of it, I know where it comes from. I'm able to counter those influences at every point in my family and with my kids. As a matter of fact, my kids went, my, all three of my kids went to public schools, right? But what happened is because we had dinner together every night in my family, I would always be home and have dinner with my kids. And at dinner, I would always ask, well, hey, what's going on in physics? What's going on in government? What's going, what'd you guys talk about today? Anything interesting? And, and they'd say, well, today we talked about, you know, the Obergefell, Hodges decision that approved same-sex marriage as a right. And I go, what do you think about it? What did they say? So I, I wanted to first, I would ask questions, you know, to see what are they hearing? What are they learning? And it became a, a, uh, a springboard for all kinds of really great conversations with my kids to help them. So I salty pastored them right there at the <laughs> dinner table every night. And so I say, well, what, what did you think about this? And does that sound right to you? And it, what, is there any flaws in that argument? And so that's why my kids, you know, everybody who knows my kids says one thing about them and then they say they are all independent thinkers. Mm -hmm. They think for themselves. So I'm not afraid of what's happening, but I want you in the Salty Pastor audience to know what's going on so that you can be prepared to address it with your own kids and especially your grandkids. Absolutely. So the point of knowing about these things is really about not being afraid of them, but to prepare to counter them. It yes. reminds kind of reminds me of what Paul told the Corinthians in his second letter. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every uh, pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to be make it obedient to Christ. Yeah, I really like that. And, you know, I think that's the NIV. I memorize it just a little bit differently. And that is the weapons are of our warfare are not flesh and blood you know, but they're divinely inspired. They are divinely mm. powerful. And what is it that we take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ? So what does that mean? Well, that means that I must think with a worldview. I see the world through a lens that makes it really clear what I'm seeing. So when, when somebody in the legislature or some, you know, like this doctor for Duke hospital stands up and says these things, that doctor is not my enemy. That right. doctor is not my enemy. That doctor is advocating an, an ideology that needs to be destroyed. And I need to understand, and my salty pastor audience needs to understand, our goal 
is to bring a worldview that is based in reality. That's why salty pastor listeners are not afraid of science. I've, I've, I've preached on how faith and science intermingle. If it wasn't for faith and Christianity, there would have been no scientific resolu- revolution at all. Right. And so we're not afraid of science. We're not afraid of truth. What we are afraid of is the atheists and the secular humanists and the scientific materialists that try to hijack it and use it for their own purposes and try to make it say stuff it doesn't say. And a perfect example is a doctor who says a two-year-old, right, doesn't choose to be transgendered, but somehow we know, we have no objective, zero objective scientific test to prove it. You can't take a blood test. You can't even do a psychological exam or a psychiatric eval. You can't do any of that to prove that. So in her scientific world, how in God's name do you even know? What you're doing is the the greatest evil of all. You're imposing your subjective ideology on that child. Mm. That means you have no value for the sovereignty of that child's life. You have no value for what that child can, you want to manipulate, indoctrinate, and groom that kid, even to the point where you want to destroy that life physically. When you give children puberty blockers, it destroys them physically for the rest of their lives. Okay. It, when you mutilate children who are minors by just what they call gender affirming care, that is not that is a misnomer. You are cutting off the breasts of 14-year-old girls, okay? I've never met a 14-year-old girl that was 100% happy with her body. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's part of adolescence and development and the mental changes going on, hormones coursing through the body, changing you. It's very confusing. You know, every 14-year-old girl that I've ever known, and I think science supports this is uncomfortable with something. They wish that, Oh, I wish I could change this. Oh, I need a nose job or I need to do something to my ears or my legs are too long or, you know, I'm too thin and, or no, I'm too overweight. And you know, I want to change these things. And what do we tell kids when they go through that? What do we tell them? It'll be fine. It'll be fine. (laughs) It'll be fine here. You know, eat a popsicle or eat some ice cream and let's go have some fun. Right. Right. And what happens is they grow up and they learn what they learn resilience. They learn to accept themselves for who they are. They, they, they learn to love themselves, but no, this doctor wants to cheat these children from this because she is devalued children. She doesn't see them as sovereign individual people who should be able to determine their own course. And so if you want to build a a strong body, uh, you need to learn how to eat right and learn how to exercise. If you want to build a strong mind, you have to learn how to learn and then go learn stuff, right? Challenge yourself. If you want a strong family, then you have to learn how to build one. And if you want a strong family, you have to learn how to protect it. And often building and protecting are interwoven together. So the best defense is the best offense you can have, and that's what they say in football all the time. It's like, well, you know, the best defense is to have your offense on the field as much as possible. The longer it is, your defense is what? Fresh. They're up there. But when defense is out there all the time, eventually you're going to score on them. They get worn down. So the better your offense is, the better your defense will be. When you invest in spiritual things, you invest in a worldview that sees the truth and reality for what it is, 
it's not a false philosophy, a false ideology, then it's easy to defend yourself against all of these influences in your family and teach your kids how to do it as well. Absolutely. Well, we thank you so much, Pastor Doug, for sharing these insights to our modern day culture and why these um, biblical uh, ideas and truths are so important even today, even though it seems like they were written for a different time, they're still applicable today. And we are dealing with something very, very important to understand these days. So um, thank you so much for that. Thank you guys so much for joining us and make sure you tune in on Sunday so that you can hear Pastor Doug um, finish up kind of this idea on how to raise great children. Yeah, how, how are you going to preach on this one on Sunday? Well, I will be here and I will do it. I believe in you and I know it's <laughs> going to be great. So thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian Church. Blessings.